Um, <clears throat> a couple of things. Uh, let's see. It's, I always ask the pastor. I did this morning. You can ask him. I always ask the pastor, you know, what time do you let your people out? And uh, I didn't do that tonight. Actually, I asked his wife. I did. I, met, I said, I, I don't see the pastor. I said, uh, tell me, please, what time does, you know, do normally let people out? And she said, you're usually done about 530. <laughs> no, let me rephrase that. Actually, what she said was the preaching's usually done about 530. That's what, no, I didn't see that. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm having fun with my friend tonight, so just, but uh, good news and bad news. No, I'm kidding. I, that was this morning. Um, tonight, I only have a three-point message, but it's a long message. <laughs> it's, it's long. It's long. It's long. Um, so let me give you a quick some updates about our ministry. I told you this morning I would, so you've been supporting our work for a number of years. Our ministry, our work, it's always been distribution work. We have worked in China for the last 20 years. Uh, we had a home base in Hong Kong for about 12 of those years, 12 to well, almost 15 of those years. And uh, Hong Kong was our home base. We can operate and do things in Hong Kong you can't do in mainland China. Hong Kong is a separate country from China. Most people just think it's a big city in China, right? It's actually a separate country have their own government, uh, have a democracy there, they have most of the freedoms that we have here in the United States. Unfortunately, that's changing quickly. China is systematically taking over Hong Kong. Um, so when COVID hit, you know, we say that now, right? You know, we say things like, you know how it used to be back before COVID? You know, like it was 100 years ago, right? But it did have a big impact on our world and it greatly impacted missions, greatly. Uh, there's a lot of missionaries, not just in China, but in other countries, had to come home as a result of COVID, and many of them have not been able to go back to their area of service. Someone may not ever be able to go back to the particular areas that they were working in. So uh, COVID had an impact on our world and on missions. Uh, you know this, but I'll just say it, uh, none of that took God by surprise. Um, we just had to alter some of our ways of working, right? But that's okay. That's okay. And so we had to do that as well. Um, we were no longer able to go across the borders that separate Hong Kong from China. Those borders were shut down and closed. Uh, they still remain relatively closed even today. So uh, very few people can go back and forth. China has only opened back up to foreigners in the last maybe six months or so. And uh, that's been very selective. And so it's been very difficult to go back to where you were ministering or working at. And it's even more difficult to go back and do the things you did before, right? So we had to be creative. Like most ministries, you have to you know, be creative. And we've done that. I tell people at one point we quit uh, smuggling scriptures into China and we started smuggling scriptures through China. There's a difference, big difference. Um, and also, I do know that we are live streaming, right? That's okay. They asked me this morning, I appreciate that. I'm not going to tell you anything that the Chinese government does not already know. I'm just not going to mention specific people or places, but they, they, they're very aware. They, they know me very well. That's not necessarily a good thing, but we have... I've, I've been in Chinese timeout, that's what I call it, Chinese timeout a few times. Um, but we started smuggling scriptures through China. We, we set up an underground print shop inside China. Uh, that, that particular print shop was up on the northern border, uh, right close to North Korea, because that particular printing facility was printing Korean scriptures because they were smuggled into North Korea. Let me pause for a moment just to say, we have had and have dear Chinese and Koreans that risked their lives to get those people in North Korea the gospel. I mean, I, you can already tell, I mean, my personality, I joke a lot, sometimes too much, I know, that's, that's just my personality, and I make light of things sometimes, and I shouldn't, but the worst thing that would ever happen to me in China is they would revoke my visa and send me home. 
And that's happened to some of my friends. They just say, invalidate, and they, you can't come back into China. I mean, I've been stopped by police. I've been questioned by police. I've had my passport taken from me. I've been told, you can't come back. Don't come back. They've threatened you and tried to bully you and things of that. And I've been through that. That's no big deal. But we have Chinese and we have Koreans that literally risk their lives. I have friends who have spent prison time. We had to pay off a judge and get one of our workers out of prison, basically bribe a judge to get him out after he served six months of hard labor. Right? So it's serious for them. And they risk their lives to get their people the gospel in some of the more secluded areas, and it's mainly into North Korea. I mean, they don't play in North Korea. That's a serious, serious work there. But I've learned this, you know, as missionaries, these missionaries will tell you, your pastor will tell you, some of you have heard this, you've heard it probably from this pulpit. We classify countries, and one of the classifications, you'll hear someone say, oh, that's a closed country, right? You've heard that, that's a closed country, which means that's a closed country to missionaries. Missionaries are not allowed there, the gospel's not allowed there, and anything that's done there is very covert and underground, and, but I, I've come to realize something. There's no such thing as a closed country as far as God is concerned. He, he doesn't classify countries or people like we do. Right. So we, we've had to be creative. And we have. Over the last couple of years, we've been very creative, especially working in China and into North Korea. Things like uh, we've used drones. We've flown drones from China, drop them across the river into uh, little villages in North Korea. Fly the drones back out. You take scriptures and drop them in villages. Uh, we've used water bottles in, in the river that I've mentioned that separates the two countries. We take backpacks and get on boats. And in our backpacks, we have water bottles and we put scriptures in them, right? Our John and Romans in there. And, and, and you take a little tour. The Chinese will take you on a tour. They, they do it for us. They just don't know what we're doing. <laughs> They'll take you about 30 minutes up the river, and they're showing all these things. There's about 25 people on a little boat, and, and it gets to the end, and the boat makes a turn to come back. And when it makes the turn, they're always pointing out something to look at, and it's, I don't even know what it is. It doesn't make sense to me, but all the Chinese that are on the boat, they're all oohing and ah, and ah, you know, they're looking. And, and we're, our people are sitting on the back of the boat, and while they're oohing and ah, and we, we're emptying out our backpack. Serious, into the wake, and when the boat makes the turn, it washes the water bottles up on the North Korean side, right? Sometimes you have to be creative. We've used helium balloons. We fly scriptures both from China and South Korea into North Korea. Bought a, a tr cargo truck, put helium tanks in it, and heavy-duty balloons and Ziploc bags, and we take our John and Romans and gospel tracts, and just being creative. There's no such thing as a closed country. Right? Getting the gospel out. And then about two years ago or less, I was home and I had all this material. I had things here in the States. Most of our stuff has always been shipped to Hong Kong and then distributed out through churches and missionaries inside China. But I had quite a bit of material here in the States and I got thinking, you know, I wonder how many Chinese restaurants are in Greenville, South Carolina. My wife and I frequent some local close to us quite often. We know some of the people there. But I thought, I wonder how many they really are. So I got online. I went on through Zillow or uh, Google and Yelp and different search engines looking for Chinese restaurants. And I found 85 Chinese restaurants in the Greenville, South Carolina area. I was shocked. Had no idea. Really. No clue. I went, wow. We, we've got to reach these people. They're right here in my hometown. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to get back into China, and here they are right in front of me, right? So I got with the Bible teacher at our high school. I said, hey, I got an idea. You need a project for your juniors and seniors one, one morning for Bible class? And I told him what I had. I said, let's put some packets together. The kids will enjoy it. He goes, oh, yeah, they'll love doing that. And, uh, again, that free labor, I, I'm good at that. So... <laughs> We got all the kids involved there, and we, we put all the John and Romans and tracks and got them to assemble all the packets. And then I started getting them out to the local Chinese restaurants in my area. And then I wondered, how many Chinese are in Columbia, South Carolina, the capital of our, of our state? I found another 120 in that area, 
And then, you know, the great, you don't even have to be from South Carolina, but most people know Myrtle Beach, right? Right? You know, vacation spot, the Grand Strand. I found a couple of hundred Chinese restaurants up and down the Grand Strand of Myrtle Beach. So it just grew. It grew and it grew. And now, tonight, we have reached all of South Carolina multiple times through local churches. We've done almost all of North Carolina. We've done most of Tennessee. Tennessee needs missionaries, period, right? Amen? I, that's just, I throw that in. I shouldn't say that. I learned that there was a huge Chinese population in Memphis, Tennessee. Had no clue. Thousands of them. Now we've done parts of Virginia. We've done Baltimore, Maryland area. Huge Chinese population in Baltimore, Maryland. We've done Florida, Georgia. We've done uh, numerous states now. I'm in churches almost every week like this, and, and I'll tell you a bit what we did in just a moment. And then we started getting responses back. And able to try to place people in local churches and get past, hey, I got a phone call or I got a message from someone at this particular restaurant. They're interested in more, knowing more about the gospel. There's over six and a half million Chinese in the United States. Six and a half million. I haven't even got to New York City, and we all know about Chinatown in, in New York City. I hadn't even got there yet. But I have got to San Francisco. One of our missionaries called me. He learned what we were doing. He called me last year. He goes, Robbie, you need to come out to San Francisco. I said, do I have to have a visa or shots or anything like that? I was, <laughs> I was worried about that. Was, San Francisco's like going to a foreign country. Over 600,000 Chinese in San Francisco Bay Area. The oldest Chinese population in America. Two missionaries there, two, one of them's Chinese, just started a brand new church in his home. He's right in the middle of San Francisco, the rolling hills, you know, the houses that are side by side. I mean, it's like a postcard. He's right there in the middle of it, him and his family. Has a house church there. And we went out there in uh, March of last year, did street ministry. I went back in July. Um, helping these two missionaries, and I'll be back there in two weeks. We're going back. And uh, just, we'll be there during Chinese New Year. That's a big deal for Chinese, right? Chinese New Year. And we're giving out the gospel, giving out packets, giving out John and Romans. And, and uh, this time we go, we're going to be trying to find an actual location for this new church to meet. That's very difficult, very hard, very expensive, right? And uh, so we're going to try to help this young man find a place maybe and, uh, that they can meet and have a permanent place to meet. So help us pray about that. So tonight, when I got here, I'd already set it up, I found 65, 66 Chinese restaurants between here and Richmond. They're all around us. And so the young people tonight, the teenagers in the gym at 4 o'clock, we met, and they was, I don't know how many were there, 20, 25 maybe, I guess total, and they got, we got two assembly lines and they started putting together packets. The packets are on the front row. Now, I want you to come by after the service and go through some of them and look and see if you see a name you recognize. If you recognize a name of a local restaurant, please, you take it and be the missionary. I told these young people this tonight. You be the missionary. Next time you go to the Chinese restaurant, take a packet with you. Don't give them the packet. Open it up, right? Let them see what it is. It's all in Chinese. And these, these have John and Romans, these have chick tracks, these have gospel tracks about salvation, who is Jesus, who is God, uh, how he can be beneficial to your family. I mean, just, it's, it's, it's a purpose to what's in the packet, right? And so tonight, come by and pick them. I'm trying to get this one back in there. We'll go. Um, I pulled these four. Now, I understand Chinese restaurants change names all the time. It could be the same location for 10 years and be six different restaurants over 10 years. I, yeah, I get all of that. So some of the names may not be right, maybe, but the location probably is. I mean, I just pulled these. This one's in Petersburg. This is the Canton restaurant in Petersburg. Uh, this one is in Chester. How far away is that? Five minutes, okay. Walking or driving? I'm just wondering. Hunan Garden is in uh, Chester, Virginia. This one's in Colonial Heights. This is the China Buffet. Sound familiar? Yeah. Oh, okay, right here it is. This one's in uh, Hopewell. How far is that? 
10 minutes, tops China. I remember seeing three or four of those. It must be a chain. I'm serious. Does that sound right? I saw Topps China in about three or four locations around here. It must be a chain restaurant. They need the gospel. Right? They need the gospel. So this is your opportunity for you to get involved. And uh, come by after the service. Look at them. I even have some blank ones. Like there's no name on there. If you want to take a couple of those, I made up some of those. And you can just take them and went, whoever, whenever. I may go to a Chinese restaurant next month. I don't know. Put it in the car, right? And you be the missionary. And I told the young people tonight, you'll have no idea who it may reach. No clue. No clue. But we've got to get busy getting the gospel out, right? I know you've heard this. It's not just the job of the missionary. It's not just the job of the pastor, right? It's all our jobs, right? And this gives you an opportunity to do that. Um, John chapter 4 John chapter 4 on a lighter note real quick before we look into verses in the Bible tonight I will say this I was here tonight early I was listening to the choir rehearse wonderful songs I I love hearing choir singing I was sitting just listening and enjoy it and uh, I will tell you this uh, Pastor Haskett there was some conversation tonight I'm not a snitch I'm not a snitch I'm just telling you as your friend, there was some conversation among the choir members about the dress last night. <laughs> Wait. That doesn't disturb me at all. No. What disturbed me was the conversation that was going on. They weren't upset about the dress. Serious. What they were upset was the shoes didn't match the dress. <laughs> Then I started getting a little worried, right? I'm not a snitch. I won't won't tell who it was. John chapter 4. You know when I say John chapter 4, you already know the story. Isn't that great about being born in America and being born in the Bible Belt and being in church that you you can say a passage and people already know what the message is? That's a blessing. I don't want to take that for granted. So I'm not going to fool anyone tonight. John chapter 4. So most of you, when you look at it, you know the story. I think it's interesting the two passages or the two chapters of John 3 and John 4 because Jesus is corresponding with individuals between those two chapters, in those two chapters, but they're vastly different. In John chapter 3, he's meeting with Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, a highly educated man, probably a wealthy man, and they have that discussion and dialogue between them on what is the new birth, right? What's being born again means. You, you, You know the dialogue they had. Out of that comes the great verse, John 3, 16. But when we get to chapter 4, totally different type of person. Completely different. Hmm. I think that's interesting. So tonight's the message, knowing what happened in chapter 3, and then we get to chapter 4. A simple message tonight. I mean, nothing deep, nothing you hadn't ever heard before, just to try to make you think again about missions. Is the value of one. The value of one. Is there value in just one? Jesus thought so. Oh, he was concerned with the multitude, right? And I'm I'm concerned with the multitude. 1.4 billion people in China. I'm concerned with the numbers and the masses and the people, and I've seen them. But sometimes we forget about the one. So is there really a value tonight in one? So... A secular example, and then we'll get to the scripture. Um, and I didn't plan this, I promise. Your pastor's going to laugh. I, I, I didn't promise. He, he, he got on to me a little bit this morning because he knows me, and when I walked in, he first, the first thing he said to me, he noticed my tie. Okay? Nothing unusual about my tie, only that it's Carolina blue. 
See, he's already said amen. Because he knows me. I have nothing to do with Carolina Blue. I'm a Clemson Tiger fan. Right? He knows that. He knows that. But he pointed out, that's, what he, that's how he greeted me this morning. Nice tie. I knew what he, I went, I just didn't think about where I was at, who I was with. But, for those of us who are sports fans, and you don't even have to be a sports fan, but most of you would know, arguably the best basketball player in the world, and I hate to say it, but I will admit it, Michael Jordan has to be the greatest basketball player that played the game. I mean, even the greatest of the greats that play today, Michael Jordan's on their uniform. <laughs> and the little swoosh, or you know what? You know. And I remember watching an interview on ESPN one night, and the guy interviewed, he was interviewing Michael Jordan. And the conversation, they were talking about all of his accolades and greatness, and, but the interviewer, he, he looks at Michael Jordan. I know, I know what he meant, because I've coached sports, and I've coached basketball. And, and if you've ever played a sport or coached a sport, you've heard this or maybe used this as a motivation. And here's what people will say, and this is what the interviewer said to Michael Jordan. He says, you do realize that there's no I in team, right? You've heard that, right? There's no I in team. Now, what that means, and I've used that, what that means, it takes all of us as a group. We've got to work together, guys. I mean, we've got to be a team here. We've got to do this. You know, no one's more important than anybody else. We've got to be a team. And that's, the, that's what it means by that expression. There's no I in team. And he says that to Michael Jordan. And Michael Jordan looked at him, and his response was, yes, but there's an I in win. Now you think, well, that was pretty arrogant of him. No. Michael Jordan won a national championship at the University of North Carolina. Michael Jordan won a gold medal in the Olympics with the Dream Team. Of course, I could have won one with that team, but anyway. <laughs> Michael Jordan won six world championships. Michael Jordan won numerous most valuable player, best defensive player, numerous all-star accolades, if we're playing basketball in the gym after church and we're picking teams, I'm still picking him. Right. Why? I would make the argument that he was that important to his team. Those, those teams may probably would not have won those world championships without that one person. So is there value tonight in just one? Right, now the scripture, you know the story. John 4 and verse 4, speaking of Jesus, and he must needs go through Samaria. Hmm. He needed to go there. He may not have wanted to go there. We know the association between the Jews and the Samaritans. It was not good. I mean, it was the ultimate um, hatred between two peoples. They, I mean, they didn't just dislike each other. They hated each other. Would have nothing to do with each other. But here's Jesus being a Jew, humanly speaking, and he needed to go to that particular city that no Jew would go to, even go through. And when he come into the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus therefore being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. It was about the sixth hour. Verse 7, And there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said unto her, Give me to drink. You know the story. Simple message tonight, three simple points to give you, and we'll be done. I have a story to tell you at the end to make an application. On this particular day, this woman meets the Savior. She meets the Savior. She went there to get some water. We know about, I'm not going to read all the verses because we know the story. And for the sake of time, you can go back home, read it yourself. You know it. We know all of her problems, right? She had a lot of baggage. Yeah. She, she was steeped in sin. It was all over. 
It must have been obvious because she's by herself. The Bible doesn't even tell us there were other women with her. That would be unusual. Usually the women would go together to draw water. She's by herself as far as we know. The Bible doesn't even tell us her name. As far as the world's concerned, she's just almost worthless. But Jesus needed to go to the well that day for her, for one. And on that day, she meets the Savior of the world. Oh, he had a discussion with her. He's talking about the physical water, but it changed. He starts talking about spiritual water, and she didn't know anything about that. And she obviously didn't have that. He told her about living water that she could have, that she would never thirst again. Not physical thirst, but that spiritual thirst of wanting something more, of knowing that there's got to be something better to this life than what I'm living. And learning that the Messiah, that's how he's recognized in this passage, the Messiah is seated right in front of her. And she meets Jesus. Do you remember when you met Jesus? I I do. As a quick personal testimony, I was six years old. You say, can God save a six-year-old? Sure. I came to him in childlike faith. That's all I had. I didn't know all the questions, didn't know all the answers. All I knew that I was afraid that if I went to sleep and I died, that I would go to hell. Because I grew up in a Christian home, right? I heard all the stories real quick. I lived on a mill hill in South Carolina. Does anybody here know what a mill hill is? One or two. There's a couple. A mill, South Carolina was, is a textile town, was, and they have uh, textile mills scattered all around Greenville. Uh, mainly during the war, uh, you know, they, they made clothing for, uh, out of cotton mills. It was cotton come in, they made clothing. All of those mills are closed down today. All of that went to China, <laughs> right? Sure, it did. But where the mill was at, you had little houses that sit side by side by side by side. It's the people who worked in the cotton mill. And you worked there, and they'd take the money out of, you know, the rent money out of your pay, and you lived in these little four-room houses, and they were all just alike. Four rooms, two bedrooms, a little kitchen, a little living room. That's it. That's where I grew up, on a mill hill. That's what we called it. We were rich. We didn't know we were rich because we had sidewalks. I mean, we thought we were rich. We had sidewalks. Every little mill town, little mill village had its own baseball field and Baptist church and a Methodist church usually, right? And that's where I grew up. I was six years old, and I remember, this is part of a testimony, I, I remember a friend of mine, uh, there was a neighbor down the street, he was the only neighbor who had an apple tree in his yard. Apples everywhere. So we got this idea, we, he had the wagon and I had the brains. And I said, uh, let's go get some apples. And we did. We, we went in his fence and loaded up his wagon with apples. We stole his apples. So at six years of age, I'm now a thief. <laughs> Serious. I'm a thief. It gets worse. Because now I turned into an entrepreneur. Uh, I had this idea that we could go through the neighborhood and sell apples. You know, two little kids, six years old, you go through the neighborhood, people's going to give you money, right? I mean, I had this figured out at six years of age, and, and, you know, we made a lot of money. And business was going great till Mama found out. (laughs) Put an end to my business career at six years of age. She said, you're going to give the money back. Go take it back to that man and give him the money and apologize. I said, Mama, I can't do that. Yes, you can. No, I can't. Because we took the money and went down to the little store and bought candy. And, you know, we had... <laughs> she said, okay, just go to your room. I knew that wasn't good. Um, but I had a piggy bank that had my life savings in it. Six years old. And she made me break my piggy bank and take all my life savings and go give it to that man and apologize to him for stealing his apple. You know why? Because I had a sin nature in me. Six years old. I knew that was wrong. I knew the difference between right and wrong, right? I did know. I remember going to bed that night. I'd heard all the preaching. I'd heard the Sunday school stories. And I was afraid I was going to die and go to hell. 
That Saturday, we had community Bible club in our, in our community on Saturday mornings. I went to community Bible club, knelt down on my knees and asked Jesus Christ to save me from my sins. And he saved me as a six-year-old boy. He saved my soul and he saved my life. All right? And on that day, I met the Savior. Personally, me. Not my mom, not my dad, not my church, not my friends, me. I had to meet Jesus personally. So do you. So did this woman. And she meets Jesus personally. Number two, look at verse 28. The woman then said, or then left her water pot. I went her way into the city and said to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is this the Christ? Somewhere in those verses, I can't tell you exactly when, but my, my former pastor, Dr. Seitler, would say, she got converted. <laughs> right? She believed on him. That's what she did. She believed on him. She meets the Savior, and then did you notice what happened next? The second thing did. She went on a mission for the Savior. Immediately, she wants to go tell somebody. Now, I do understand there's qualifications for pastors, for deacons, and there's a long list of them, and all of them are important, and I get that, and I understand that, and I believe in those. But no one's disqualified from telling what Jesus has done for them. No one. Right? Old, young, man, woman, boy, girl, none of you. Everybody can go tell what Jesus has done for them. I don't see anywhere where this woman went to Bible school. I don't see anywhere where she went to Sunday school. I don't see anywhere where she took any special training. Nothing wrong with those things. I encourage you to do those things. All I know is something happened in her. She changed. Her life was changed, and she couldn't wait to go tell somebody. I've always wondered about this, Brother Ray. I, I wondered what about her changed so much that the men of the city, and you read it, they listened to her. Think about it. We know what her problems were. She, we know her background. Why would they listen to her? What credibility did she have? None. All I can say is something must have drastically changed. I don't know what it was. Maybe, maybe her speech changed. You know, when you really meet Jesus and get saved, you know that your speech will change? People around you should notice, well, he don't talk like he used to, or she, doesn't, she don't tell the story she used to tell. She you know, your speech will change. I, I don't know, maybe her countenance change. You know, when you really meet Jesus and born again, your, your countenance will change. You may not be happy all the time, we can't, but you'll have the joy of the Lord in you, and it'll show up somewhere. Right? It should. Maybe her countenance. I don't know what changed. But immediately she went on a mission for the Savior. And they listened to what she had to say. Third point. Look at verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him because he healed all the sick people. Is that what your Bible says? No, 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 it doesn't say that. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him because he fed all the hungry people. No, your Bible doesn't say that. Jesus would do in all of those things. This passage says, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman. Wow. Which testified. How important is it that you testify what God has done for you. Amen. Not that you know all the answers, not that you know all the questions, not that you've got all the theology exactly right. No, that's why we come to church every Sunday and listen to our pastor and study. But she testified of what had happened to her. That God had changed her immediately. There was a change in her life. And she's testifying to these men and told, he told me all that I ever did. Folks, all you need to do is open your mouth and tell somebody what God did for you. <coughs> so she goes on a mission for the Savior. And then the third point is, look at verse 41. 
Well, back up to 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him. Verse 41. And many more believed because of his own words. Because of her testimony, I see here that a multitude came to the Savior that day. A multitude. Many and many more. And when they come to Jesus, they wanted to hear what he had to say. And they said in verse 42, they said they believe that he indeed is the Christ, the Savior of the world. A multitude from an unlikely source. I look around congregations, I look around this one tonight, and I think, who's that unlikely one? Who's that one that maybe if you were to walk down this aisle and bow at this altar and Trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you might be the one that brings the multitude. The value of this one. As a story tonight, I bring my suitcase with me just about every time. I use it as an example many times, and sir, not every time, but my suitcase, I've had this one for many, many years. It's I say it's somewhat, it's, this one's retired. I've worn out, I don't know how many. We would take scriptures across from Hong Kong into China. You can put about, about 120, 130 whole Bibles in, in a suitcase this size. And they wear out because it's so heavy, the wheels wear out, and you know, they, the zippers come off. And I retired this one a few years ago, but I still carry it with me. And I carry it with me because the significance of this particular suitcase. We, we got access to a children's Bible a number of years ago. Actually, it's not a Bible. There's one on my table. It's more of a storybook, but it starts with creation. And, uh, and it tells about the birth, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord. It has the gospel in it. It's got full-color pictures. It's all in Chinese. I never had anything like that before, not children's material. I was really excited about it. it and uh, the printer, the people that were printing it, told me about it and made, said I could get access to it. I said, what's it going to cost me? They said, uh, you can get these for a dollar a piece and get them shipped to Hong Kong. They were printed in Japan, I believe. Oh, I got all excited about it. It was the first time I, I told my friends in China. Man, they were all, wow, we hadn't had anything like that before. And I went around churches everywhere and told them about how we needed those Chinese children's Bibles. A dollar a piece, a dollar a piece. And we raised thousands of dollars. People gave, and you know, I would I would tell congregation, if everybody in the congregation just gave one dollar, we could, you know, every how many people were there, we can buy thirty, we can buy fifty, we can buy a hundred, you know. And uh, I remember we we shipped those to Hong Kong. I took a team with me, and we were specifically that trip was to get as many as those children's Bibles into China as we possibly could. On that first morning, normally I would do an, I'd do an orientation. I would take people across the border a couple of times. I called them dry runs just to show them where to go and how to get through security and immigration and where to meet. It's real simple. You, can't, you really can't go to the wrong place because you're an American. You stick out. You get in the wrong line to go, okay, dumb Americans, you're in the wrong line. Come over here. You know. <laughs> Pretty simple. No, we would do some dry runs. So that morning it was time to work, time to go. I told the team, I think we had about six or eight people with us. And I told the team that morning, I said, uh, let me go first. I don't know why I did that. Usually we would just go because we had already done it. I said, let me go first today. I said, I know the security. I know what they're looking for. Uh, some of these guys I know personally. That's not a good thing. Um, so let me go first. If there's any problems, I'll call back. Just let you know. Now keep in mind, I've done this hundreds and hundreds of times. So I go through that morning, no big deal, a lot of people there, you got business people going into China, you got Hong Kong residents, they're Chinese, they're going into China to work, I mean, it's, it's a busy thoroughfare, hundreds and thousands of people, I'm just one in a, among thousands. You have to go through security, security is a, <clears throat> um, they route you through a security section and you have to put your suitcase on a conveyor belt and it scans it. It's looking for the same thing we would look for, you know, here in America, drugs or weapons or anything that's not allowed into China. But we had learned quite a few years ago that we didn't have to go through security. We could bypass security if we dressed like I'm dressed tonight or dressed business smart and I'm an American. 
most of the time they would wave the Americans right on through. You didn't have to go through security. You just walked on through. They knew you were doing some kind of business in China, which I was. And so they'd wave you through. So I get to that part and I saw security like I, and I just went around. This had happened before, but it had been a long time. But when I walked around it, one of the Chinese officers stood out in the little thoroughfare and he, he come up to me and he said, stop. And he pointed. And I knew what he meant. He wanted me to go through the security section. Well, I have done that too and stuff would just go through and they wouldn't care. I turned around. I was okay. I went back. Went through the security section, put my suitcase. I've got a couple of hundred Chinese children's Bibles in this suitcase. I got a backpack full. It goes through. Nobody said anything. There's police everywhere, scanners everywhere. I went back, and I'm going back through the little thoroughfare. When I did, this time, three officers stepped in front of me and said, stop. And I stopped. I knew then what was going to happen because I'd been through this routine before. And they motioned me to go through this door. And so what happens when they stop you like that, they, you put your suitcase up on a counter, and they tell you to open They'll bring somewhere that speaks English, a little bit of English. And they'll tell you to open it. You open it, and they see what you have. Well, they open it, and they saw, they saw what I had. And immediately, they went through their routine. This is not allowed. You cannot bring this to China. Do not bring this to China. And I thought, well, how many can I have? I've learned to bargain. You know, how, how many can I have? You can have one. And so what they do, they, they confiscate everything from you. They take your passport, and then they weigh it. They put it on a scale, and they weigh it. And then they tell you, you have to go to an area of confiscation to get them back. They're going to give them back to you if you pay the fine. You pay a fine. Once you pay the fine, they give you your passport back. See, without your passport, you can't go anywhere, right? You're stuck. So you go to the area of confiscation. You wait, and you wait, and you wait. Finally, the stuff comes down a chute. They put it in bags. You pay the fine, and they give it back to you. They reroute you backwards to Hong Kong. They're just not letting you come into China. And they usually will say, someone, there'll be a police officer, a little bit of English, and he'll say, do not bring this back to China. You come back to China, I'll take your passport, and you can never come to China again. And my answer would always be the same. I would say, yes, sir, I promise. I will not come back today. <laughs> that was always my answer. So I knew what was going to happen. I'm stopped. Now, also, I knew that that would, gonna, that would shut us down for the day. Because now, they, I mean, they know it's the same security team they're going to see a bunch of Americans coming behind me. We're all dressed alike. We all look alike. You know, we all got the same stuff. They, they know, so they're going to nail everybody. So I know that day is done. We've got to wait till the next day because the next day the security team changes. It's different people, right? But I'm angry. I'm being honest. I'm angry. I've done this, done this, done this, and now I've got these people here and, and what I've been waiting for for months and months, and I get stopped first day, first time out, and I'm heading to confiscation. I get there and I wait. Now, I'm not the only person there. You have other smugglers there, Chinese smugglers. Well, they're smuggling all kind of stuff into China from Hong Kong, bad stuff like baby milk, powdered milk, uh, batteries, uh, cigarettes. That's pretty bad. Alcohol, anything that they can get good in Hong Kong that they don't know what it is in China. There's a whole ring of smugglers smuggling that stuff into China to sell it. So they're catching them too, right? So here I am in the middle of confiscation with all these Chinese that's professional smugglers and me. <laughs> My stuff finally comes down the chute. And I'm angry. And I start having a conversation with God. It's kind of like a prayer, but it's a little bit different. Maybe you've been there before. I don't know. But let me tell you how my conversation was. Because inside I'm going, and I'm serious, this is what I'm saying. I'm going, now, Lord, you know what I'm doing. Lord, you know. I'm, I, it's how I'm talking to God. I said, Lord, 
You know I went into all those churches. I raised all that money. I raised thousands of dollars, Lord. I bought all of these Bibles. And you know what I'm doing. Lord, you know I got people waiting on me in China. I got, I got people waiting on me in Hong Kong. Everybody's waiting on me. They're waiting to hear from me. And hear, I mean, why, why did you let, I mean, why in the world am I here in confiscation? Because you know, Lord, I've, I've done all of this stuff. I've done this for you. And don't act too spiritual because you've probably had those similar conversations. And then I realized my prayer, my, converse, my conversation I was having had a whole lot of eyes in it. I did this, God, and I did this, and I, I did this, you know. Like God didn't know what was going on. Really. And I'm angry. I'm on my knees now because the stuff has come back, and it's those children's Bibles, and I'm packing them back in my suitcase. God, i got to take them all the way back to Hong Kong. And I felt someone watching me. You know how you feel that sometimes? People's everywhere. But, and I turned around, and there was a Chinese lady looking over my shoulder. She was just nosy, I'm sure. Why this tall, white American's in the middle of Chinese confiscation, right? Filthy place, dirty. And she's just looking. And I turned around, and I looked at her. Now, keep in mind, there's, there's police everywhere. There's, it's confiscation. And I reached in my suitcase, Brother Ray, and I, I took one of those children's Bibles out of it, and I just, I mean, I figured I'm in confiscation. What are they going to do to me now, right? And I just reached and I picked one up. I turned around to her, and I just did, I did, I offered it to her. She looked at me, looked at it, she looked around, and she took it. I finished my suitcase, and I uh, headed out the door. I'm done. I paid my fine. They give me my passport. I'm loaded up, and I'm still mad. And I'm heading out the door. But I turned back for some reason. I just looked. A crowded room. And when I did, I saw her. Now she's seated on the floor against the wall on the other side. And she, she had our Chinese children's Bible in her hand. And she's doing this. I, I just stood over there and watched her for a few minutes. She's just she's looking. And, and God spoke to me that day. It wasn't some audible voice or a bright light, but he, he spoke to my heart that day. He said, Robbie, how do you know I didn't have you stopped for the one? The one. See, see I was worried about the masses. I was worried about the thousands. I was worried, and that's important. Don't misunderstand me. It's important that we reach all that we can reach, get all we can get out. That was my concern. I was doing the numbers. And that day, God stopped me dead in my tracks in a dirty, filthy confiscation room in China. And one insignificant lady, I don't even know her name, may never see her again. I can't tell you that she got saved. I mean, it's not one of those great missionary stories. Though. She got saved and led her whole family to the Lord. I, I can't tell you that. All I can tell you is that God stopped me and he made the gospel available to one person. One person. So is there value tonight in one? Jesus thinks so. That's my challenge to you tonight as a church. See the value in one. Who knows, that one might bring the multitude. I don't know. You don't know. I'm going to challenge you as a church. We're going to stand in just a moment. Your pastor will be coming and finish the service. I want to challenge you as a church. When we pray, if you will pray, you don't have to, I'm not asking anybody to raise their hand. I'm not asking anybody to come forward. I'm not asking you to do anything, but I, I'm, I'm asking you to do this. I want you to pray that God will send one person into your path this week. One person. And he'll make you aware that that one person is someone you should share the gospel with. It might be a gospel track. It might be an invitation to church. 
It might be a testimony of what God has done for you. And can I promise you something? This is something sensational, but I'm just making a promise because I, I know I've lived this. I've done this and done this. If you pray that prayer and you mean it tonight, I promise you God will send someone through your path this week. And testify to it. He'll send someone. Be prepared. Make up your mind right now. I'm going to be prepared when, when God sends someone my way. I, I, I'm going to put a gospel track. They're out there in the best of you. I saw them. Take one of them. I'm going to be ready. I'm going to be ready with my testimony. It don't have to be a half an hour testimony. I tell what, well, God saved me. He, he, he changed my life. That's a testimony. My challenge to you as a church, would you pray that prayer with me tonight? And God will send someone your way this week. Let's stand together. Your heads are bowed. Father, I've, I've given the message tonight, and I told the simple story, simple message that you laid upon my heart and of how you saw the need of one person and the value of that, that dear lady. God, I ask you myself again, I've prayed this many, 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 many times, and I pray it tonight, hopefully with this congregation. God, would you send someone in my path this week? Lord, help me to be faithful, to share the gospel. It may be the only opportunity they ever have. I may never see them again. God, I pray that every person in this building tonight would honestly and earnestly pray that prayer and that you would send someone their way this week. Help us, Lord, as a church, as a body, as, as believers, to be willing to share the gospel and testify as this lady did in, in the scriptures tonight. Just testify what God's done for us. That's my prayer tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.